Welcome to the Performax podcast. This is uh, Aaron, the owner of Performax, and I'm here today with Derek. How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing good today. Today's going to be a good one. I, I know that. Yeah. So today we have uh, Robert, the supplement engineer, on the podcast, and so we're going to get into that shortly. I think we just want to go through um, kind of updates on the brand, what's going on with us, and then we'll jump right into that. Um, so I know we've talked about this for quite a while. Uh, we have that new Trophimax powder coming out in uh, October is what we're shooting for. We basically kind of nailed one flavor. We're working on a second flavor, which is what I would say probably like a popular soda when it comes to um, the gaming community. And I'm pretty excited for that flavor. So as most people know, Nootropmax is, is going to be more for professional students, um, gamers, uh, but also just a really good all-around kind of energy formula. Um, other than that, we have, uh, we're actually working on some limited edition Isoway flavors. Um, what we have right now, at least in terms of sampling, um, blueberry pancakes, maple donut, and salted caramel. So we haven't really picked which one we're going to do. It's only going to be one of those three, but we're definitely going to get into kind of limited edition um, ISO wave flavors moving forwards. And then the big thing too that we've involved Robert on and me and Derek have been working really well on is kind of the repackaging or potential for repackaging for Performax, um, doing something that's a little bit more in line with what the brand is about, um, a little bit more aggressive since all of our formulas are on the aggressive side. So that's something that we've actually involved Robert in and you know, obviously thankful for his feedback. Um, so that's kind of, I think, the gist of what we really have coming up with uh, with Performax at this time, the Nootropamax powder, the Isoway limited edition flavors. We're gonna be working on a Hypermax limited edition flavor for a pretty big retailer as well. Um, we do have the total health formula. We have a joint formula. What what else do we have? I think there's a few other things. Anything else kind of come to mind for you, Derek? We do have a potential Hypermax exclusive flavor coming out too in the next few months. Yeah, yeah. So that was the one that I mentioned for that. That there's a good, they're a good partner that we have uh, for retail um, domestically, and so we're going to be doing an exclusive flavor for them. So that's something that we're going to get more into uh, as the year closes out and we move into 2021. Is I think everybody really loves the formula of Hyper. I think we could always just use more uh, flavor options. So just like we're going to do with Isoway, we will be jumping into some limited edition flavors for uh, Hypermax as well. Mm-hmm. Any other updates on your side, Derek, in terms of uh, retail or the brand or sales or anything like that? Uh, well, we're only a week and a half away from something we plugged on our last podcast with the Nutrition Factory having their 30 days of giveaways. So uh, that's coming up quickly, and there's going to be a lot of cool uh, reasons to uh, for them to be one of maybe the ways that you get your Performax next month. You get free exclusive shirts and... Uh, a great sale that'll be going on during that so on the retail side that's probably the biggest thing that we have coming up that everybody can benefit from yeah no exactly and so um as derek alluded to nutrition factory all of next month will be running a buy one get one half off and then any performax product that you buy you're also going to get a limited edition t-shirt a collab t-shirt between us and nutrition factory um, so you're getting a great deal you're getting a free limited edition t-shirt and you can also enter to into the giveaway. So we're going to be giving away one Performax product every single day for the month of September. 
So we're going to be giving out 30, 31, you know, free products. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Make sure that you sign up for uh, that giveaway. And um, if you want that limited edition t-shirt, just make sure you get a Performax product at nutritionfactory.com. Yes, sir. Cool. So I tried my best to blow through that as quickly as possible. Just give you guys an update, but really get to the meat and potatoes of why we're here today. So I want to welcome Robert, a uh, supplement engineer, onto the podcast. How you doing, Robert? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for uh, for having me. I'm excited. I'm uh, hearing the uh, the news clips before uh, actually speaking gets me even more excited because I I have an inside glimpse into what y'all do most of the time, but I had no idea about the extra flavors coming out. Um, and I've completely forgotten about the Nootropa Max powder. I remember that we had talked about it uh, maybe early 2020 or end of 2019. And uh, yeah, man, I'm super stoked to see what y'all can come up with. Yeah, um, you know, 2020 threw us for a loop, so potentially it's taken us a little bit longer to get it out than we anticipated. But um, as you know, just because me, you know, me and Robert, we talk formulations all the time. Um, if if we're gonna put something out, it's gonna be good. So I definitely think you know, if you're interested in nootropics, you're definitely gonna like what we come out with in terms of the Nootropics powder. Um, Outstanding. Derek has a little bit less of a relationship with uh, with Robert. Um, me and Robert have been good buddies for a while now. Um, so I think what we'll do is let Robert kind of jump into, I mean, uh, sorry, Derek jump into um, some questions and, you know, give you an opportunity to start to pick Robert's brain a little bit. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to have you on here, Robert. One, because you've, you've done so many, you've been guests on many podcasts, you have your own, so you're going to bring like some level of professionalism with what me and Aaron try to do here. So, uh, yeah, you'll probably tie us all together the best, but, um, I mean, yeah, just like Aaron said, like, I was curious about just some different things about you. Like, what did you do before supplements and then what got you into supplements? Cause you're one of the most knowledgeable people I've found when I really looked through and listened to some of your stuff. And uh, I'm just curious, like somebody that's that smart shows supplements as like their forte what what really drew you to this that that's a, a long and winding road to how i got here so growing up um you know my, my dad's a mechanical engineer my grandpa is a chemical engineer my younger brother is an aerospace engineer he's Jeez. working on the new uh shuttle program to go out there in uh, alabama so i come from a, a, a long line of math and science nerds Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, 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 did, I did well in school, um, you know, was, a lot of it wasn't super, super challenging, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attribute that to good genetics, but also good study habits that were ingrained in me by my mom and dad and my teachers. Um, in school, something I was always ex excited to learn about, and so, you know, I went through uh, college, graduated from LSU in 2008 with a, a degree in mechanical engineering, and then I started doing uh, oil and gas consulting because in and around New Orleans and I guess really a lot of the southeast if you're going into the engineering field it's going to be mostly oil and gas so you go, go work with either one of the majors or you work as a consultant and help design uh, upstream midstream downstream operations for the oil and gas system so either up upstream midstream and downstream is either um, the rigs that are offshore offshore um, the midstream will be the pipelines that are transporting the product the unrefined oil to the the refineries and so we're depending on what the client wants and which client we're working with uh, we'll just kind of determine which aspect of the uh, process you're involved with so I did that and I interned my final two summers uh, in college uh, at a place called Pelican, Pelican Energy Consultants I uh, graduated in May of 08 and started doing the engineering thing for between 08 and March of 2015 is when I left 
Um, now, I had always been active as a kid. Uh, I did baseball growing up, uh, a couple of seasons of basketball, but my main uh, athletic foray was taekwondo. So I did that from the time I was nine until the, the school closed when I was 21, graduating college. Um, and so I'd always been physically active, but never really much into supplementation and nutrition. I was, I was a super picky eater, so I never really focused much on that. You know, my favorite food groups were plain hamburgers, pizza, hot dogs, and chicken fingers. So I <laughs> not, the, not the most well-rounded diet. <laughs> Um, I got married in 09 and 2010, uh, January of 2010, my grandpa passed away from my dad's dad passed away from health complications. And my dad had been a type two diabetic, uh, for most of his adult life. He's been one uh, over 20 years now. Plus, uh, my uncle had always been a type two diabetic as well on my mom's side. Uh, so this, you know, there's in New Orleans is a place that has a lot of great food, but not a lot of very healthy people. So it's, you know, people like just to, you know, eat, drink and be merry down there. Um, and so my grandfather had passed away in 2010. And that's when I really started to get serious about, you know, how I was eating. Um, my claim, my diet up mostly by then, but I was still eating, you know, junk food and just not really paying attention to it. And I started to get really into uh, resistance training and trying to, you know, get into in more into the, the fitness life and gym life aside from just my uh, taekwondo training. Um, and with that, that's kind of what kickstarted everything. So I started researching, you know, how to structure workout routines. I never joined a gym or anything like that. I built out a home gym, and I just I always preferred to, you know, do my own thing my own way. Um, so I started researching anything and everything I could on fitness, and then how nutrition complemented that. Um, and then eventually, obviously, that leads into supplementation. So what were the things, you know, what were the, the effective compounds? And I fell for all of the, the bullshit supplements like most people <laughs> do when they first jump in there. Luckily, I never bought all the glu into the glutamine hype, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But, I mean, BCAAs, making sure I took, took those when I was training, I had a protein shake immediately afterwards, um, beta-alanine, creatine, all of that stuff. And the more I started to dig into it, the more I wanted to realize that I wanted to understand what was going into my body so you know why am i taking this and why isn't this product telling me exactly what's in the product what is this prop blend you know there's 48 ingredients in here and it's a three gram scoop so you know how much of this stuff am i actually getting and that just kind of it fueled the fire for me just to kind of do anything and for the, the listeners out there that may not know this there was a lot of free time in the consulting world of engineering so i would be sitting at my desk i'd review the drawings or run some you know pipe stress analysis calculations or whatever and I would finish it, you know, in an hour or two, bring it to my supervisor or the project manager. And they said, well, go review it. We budget, we build this for eight hours and you finished it in an hour and a half. So, <laughs> you know, you, you've got six and a half hours that we need to milk this for. And I thought, okay. So uh, after double and triple checking it, I thought, all right, well, I've still got four hours left to build on this project. Let me go research some supplements or let me see what the latest nice. training exercise study was. <laughs> so I figured, you know, at this time, I'm just, I'm commuting 45 uh, minutes to to and from work in miserable traffic. Um, I'm not really enjoying engineering. I'm good at it. It comes easy to me. It's it pays really well. Um, you know, it's a stable job. Uh, I'm recently married, so you know we've got a house and everything. And I'm just I'm not happy. I just it's uh, you feel very unfulfilled. Whereas I'm seeing my wife Sandy, who's a teacher, loving every minute of it. Feels like she's really having an impact on the world, doing something good for the kids. Every day she comes home, she's super excited. And she asked me how my day was, and I said, well, you know, I, I designed pipes to move oil from point A to point B, and that, that's really about it. And, you know, you start to deal with some of the politics in the oil and gas system companies and all of that, and it's just, it, it is not really all of that, you know, fulfilling. And so, you know, let's fast forward now to 2013, 2014, 
Um, with as most of the listeners are probably aware, the oil industry is very volatile. You know, oil goes up, everybody hires. Oil drops below $100 a barrel. There's massive layoffs at all the consulting companies. So, every two to three years, if you're a consultant, you are basically jumping from one company to another, either avoiding trying to avoid the layoff uh, guillotine that's going to drop down and whack your head off, or you're going to get laid off and then you're going to have to you know go into the pool like all the other engineers. Luckily. I was able to kind of stay ahead of the curve, and so when I would see that layoffs were coming at the company I was at, I would jump to another one that I had a buddy at, and so on and so forth. Um, and then, you know, end of 2014, beginning of 2015, I was getting super burnt out. I was on my fourth consulting company, and I finally just said, I'm done with this. And, and my wife said, look, um, I can see you're getting burnt out. If you can, and she was, at this time was starting to get burnt out with public education too, because it's all the, the federal mandates and the revisions to the guidelines and everything, it just there was no consistency there. So she was having to reinvent curriculum from the ground up every single year to go in line with those new standards. And so she got an appointment up at the University of Michigan to go be the tutorial coordinator at the University of Michigan that basically instructed all of the tutors that worked with the student athletes on, hey, these are the proper practices. So you can't give a ride to an athlete. You can't buy him a candy bar. You can't even lend him a pencil. That counts as an infraction. That will get us on suspension with the NCAA. So she was kind of uh, responsible for doing all of that. And she had done some of that when we were both students at LSU um, in the early 2000s. And so she knew that I was miserable with engineering. Um, and I had already started to moonlight for a couple of uh, supplement sites, uh, just writing an article to here or there, you know, like once or twice a week. And she said, hey, look, Robert, we're going to move to Michigan. I'm going to take this job. And I told her, well, what am I going to do about engineering? She said, if you can make X amount of money to where we're not pulling from savings and we're just breaking even every month, she said, you're quitting engineering and you're <laughs> never going back. And at this point, I'm making around $80,000 a year engineering, not even like being stressed at work or having to do anything. And I went from doing that to making $1,000 a month uh, writing for supplements, getting paid two cents a word for articles. So, I mean, wow. it, it's a shock, but I mean, I, I, you know, I tell people I never made the jump to supplements to get richer or make money right. or anything like that. It was purely a passion play because I loved learning about the, the mechanisms of how uh, things work in the body, just understanding human physiology and how exercise, you know, at a cellular level, what kind of impacts are going on? What is exercise doing? What are the polyphenols in fruits and vegetables doing to your cells? What are supplements doing and how are they interacting with those other nutrients and other uh, external things you're bringing into your body? And so, you know, that that's kind of where it started, where 2015, I started writing for a couple of different sites. And then uh, 2018, March of 2018, I broke out uh, all by myself just to kind of start up a supplement engineer. And I've been freelancing, consulting, writing and formulating uh, to the present day. And so that's kind of a long winded, but kind of a brief recap of everything. Yeah, but I love that one very supportive wife. I love to hear that kind of story. So that's great. But yeah, like, I would not. She hadn't given me the kick in the ass. There's no yeah. way. Yeah, well, sometimes you need every, that. every freaking day. That that's awesome. But it also shows that you came from more of like a like you said, passionate reason to start this kind of thing. You know, other review things are kind of. I work out a lot and I love supplements. Let me start a like a review thing or have my own opinions on things. Whereas yours seems to have a lot more of a personal touch to it. So you're gonna give the best and most honest feedback on everything, which is great. Absolutely, yeah. And the funny thing is, when I made the, uh, the switch, I was telling my parents, so I, you know, I gave you the background. My dad was an engineer. My mom was a, a cardiac rehab nurse for 30 plus years. And uh, I, you know, when you when you go to tell them, hey, I'm uh, 
I'm ditching this this nice education that y'all helped pay for and you know this stable job and moving to Michigan I'm becoming a supplement writer yeah <laughs> they're kind of, you know to this day they, they've been you know they, they've come around and they're supportive of it I still don't know if they completely understand what in the hell I do on a day-to-day basis so <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you, there is actually another question I had to follow up because you did touch on it early um, about like just identifying what is in your body. So like just going a little bit deeper into that, there's been a lot of conversations and they probably come up every four to six months anyway, but it's reappeared about proprietary blends. I was curious, like your thoughts on like, are proprietary blends okay? And are they really just protecting a formula? Or do you feel that they're either hiding something? I'm sure it depends on the brand as well. But like your general thoughts, what would you say on those? Yeah, I, I would, that's a good that's a good caveat. I mean, there there are certain places I've used proprietary blends before, um, you know, and I've I've enjoyed products. I've said I've given high remarks to certain products I've tried that have proprietary blends. Um, I think from a consumer standpoint and just a an educator standpoint, I prefer and will always advise people to go with. Um, transparent labels open labels mm. uh, just because if you're going to pay your hard-earned money for something you damn well deserve to know what in the hell you're putting in your body right um now that's that's not to say i'm patently against proprietary blends you know and if, if i know the company uh like if performax one day was to come out with a prop blend on something you know if, if i have a good relationship with the company i know where their stuff's made i can trust that you know what they're telling me is in the product and i've some you know other brands that i've worked with in the past or just, you know, when I was doing a lot of supplement reviews with CJ, you know, we were, we were getting problems left and right. Mm-hmm. And I would talk to the guy and say, hey, can you l- at least let me know what's in here so I know what the hell I'm putting in my body <laughs> or at least the caffeine content so we can, you know, alert the consumers. Because at, at a bare level, if you want to keep everything else guarded in a problem, just at least let me know the caffeine content because that's what's going to be the, the yes or no for most people. Um, so when I'm formulating a product, I will always go with a, uh, an open label. Any formulas that I've consulted with, it, they've all been open label to my knowledge. Uh, I don't think anything's been prop blended. Nothing's jumping to mind. Um, and I, I, I can understand the argument, but we all know what products are really working. We know the, the effective dosages of the, the proven commodities in the supplement industry. So there's no reason to put beta alanine, citrulline, betaine, uh, any of that, any of those kind of things, taurine. You don't need to put any of that in a problem. We know the effective dosages of those ingredients. Um, could you make an argument for a stim blend if you're using two to three forms of caffeine and something like an areogerensis um, or some other PEAs, hortanine, isopropyl norsinephrine, some of those kind of things? I guess you could, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's really easy to reverse engineer a formula. You don't even have to send it off to a lab. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you could, and that, that's not going to cost that much money to do it, but you could easily, if you have a rough idea on something, you could easily reverse engineer a formula. Right. Yeah, and that, that's kind of... I guess my thought process on it is where I'm actually surprisingly not that against proprietary blends, uh, even though we made a stance, you know, a long time ago that we're only going to do open labels and that's, you know, more for the consumer. Um, there's a, a few things that you touched on, Robert. One is I think most educated people could probably take a pretty good crack at what a proprietary blend is made up of just because we know, um, you know, certain dosages of certain things probably have to be in a certain range. And we know that it's going to start at the largest and end at the smallest. So I think you made a really good point in the sense of citrulline, beta alanine, uh, betaine and hydros, uh, things where there's very studied dosages. 
I think those um, should very much not be in a prop blend. However, when you're talking about, and I think this is where prop blends kind of still exist in the industry, when you're talking about a stim complex, I'm actually not against that. And that's one thing that um, I know James Bacuzzi made a post about, uh, uh, I think two days ago or three days ago, and I commented on. Um, but I mean, like, you know, if there's 20 milligrams of hygienamine and 40 milligrams of hoardening, or there's 20 milligrams of hoardening, 40 milligrams of hygienamine, like, does it really make a difference to you uh, to know that difference? Or, you know, as long as the pump, the performance, and the things are kind of in line, and then I think the one caveat to that is the caffeine. I think caffeine is definitely something that should be listed. But apart from that, I'm actually not against proprietary blends in stim products, because ultimately at the end of the day, with a stim type uh, blend, you're going after a specific feeling. You're not going after, um, you know, performance output, increasing VO2 max, increasing, you know, nitric oxide production. You're literally going off of how do I feel? And so as long as that blend accomplishes the feeling that they were trying to go after, then I think, you know, as long as the caffeine and you, you know that you're not taking 600 milligrams caffeine when you thought you were taking 200, other than that, I think, I think prop blends are, are somewhat viable for specific companies. And I think going back to what you were saying too, about not that expensive. I mean, I think that's relative. I think, you know, testing a full 12 ingredient product could, you know, cost upwards of two grand. And do I think, you know, someone like James Bacuzzi, who's really, really for prop blends, is he worried about a really big brand coming after and ripping off this formula? Probably not because one, hopefully that company could afford to have a good formulator in the first place. And two, if the formula is so amazing, yeah, you know, they could drop two grand, but really are they going to when they're such a big brand? I think where prop blends could protect small brands now are where you see all these advertisements, and I'm sure you've seen them on Facebook. You know, start your own supplement company today, 144 unit minimum. Well, it's like if you're a store and you're pumping this one pre-workout and you go, well, shoot, if I just order 144 of this exact same formula because it's open label and I know what it is, I could double my margin well, then yeah, that company just lost out. So I do think there actually is a time and place where it can make sense. It's not for Performax because, you know, we just view it a little bit different. But I just thought it'd be interesting that perspective from a company who doesn't want to do prop lens, who actually, you know, we really don't have anything against them if they're done correctly. No, and you raised a great point. It's, I mean, that's that would be the one thing where I could understand maybe doing a prop blend is is the energy component and you know it's you you brought up james and the stuff he's done there another guy that's done some prop blends over the years and who i've you know respect just as much as i respect you in the industry is chris uh waldrum over at inspired and he's you know devastate is some of the hardest hitting pre-workouts just like a uh, hypermax is yours is open label his has been his energy blends have been cloaked um and it's you know and he's that's kind of the thing is that they go through you know they want to be they don't want their time and energy uh, that they've invested into putting together a really effective feeling stim blend. They don't want just that want that open to everybody. Um, and I, I can understand that. I just think from you know just from a personal standpoint, I'm always going to be someone that is going to open label. I'm just going to say, you know what? I, I know I did this. Um, you know, if you want to rip me off, that's fine. I just I have the the validation of knowing that I this is what I came up with, and I'm not you know cloaking on or you know copying somebody else. Yeah, and and I do think that. Because the industry is so saturated, um, 
it's like if it's going to happen it's going to happen whether it's a prop blend or not but like you said i could see someone like chris that inspired you know why he would want to keep it as a prop blend because i mean it's not hard to pick an effective dose of citrulline it's not hard to pick an effective dose of betaine it is hard to balance out the effects of five or six different stimulants for a very specific effect that you're trying to to get to and that's really where the hard work comes into like we don't need to guess you know what is an efficient dose of betaine or do a whole bunch of testing but the way that horonine interacts with n-phenethylamine balancing that energy out with an added amount of caffeine what amount of caffeine you add to that and what amount of energy you're trying to accomplish and then adding in let's call it two or three more components like alpha yo and tyrosine it's like all right well that actually is a pretty significant balancing act and that will take a lot of trial and error and time uh, to figure that out and so I mean, I, like I said, I, I, I kind of agree with, with you in terms of Chris. You know, I, I don't think there's anything dodgy going on there. I don't think he's making a prop one to hide something. I truly think that, you know, someone like him is, is trying to protect that, 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 that IP, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, no, I, th I think that's a, a good brand to bring up and put into the conversation because Inspired is a solid brand. Um, and for the most part, I guess not actually their recent pre-workout is a full, fully open label. But for the most part, they have done prop blend energies, uh, energy blends. So, yeah, all the the previous forms of Devastator, at least the the most recent ones I've tried, they, you, the the ergogens or ergogenics were open, but the the caffeine blend with the mixed with the uh, Aridromensis extractor when they were using the the DMHA derivatives, um, those were always cloaked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then to be quite honest, where where it makes it easy to read is when you do. Uh, list the caffeine, which I think they always did. So for your average consumer or, you know, maybe your uneducated person, it might be hard to kind of decipher, you know, what's in that energy blend. But the second that you put that caffeine content and then you can start to establish, okay, ingredients before the caffeine content have to be in these dosages or higher. Ingredients after the caffeine content have to be these dosages or lower. They all have to end up meeting up to this total amount that's listed on the label for the energy blend you can kind of figure it out to to a pretty good degree. But I think that is a barrier for your less uneducated person because someone like me or you probably could figure out to some degree. But would we even do that? Or are we educated enough to just make our own formula anyway? Whereas I think some you know general shop owners or little mom pop shops that aren't as educated potentially, you know, but want to make a home brand, it at least is a little bit more of a deterrence to just rip someone like that off, you know? Yeah, I think that's a great point. One thing I, I don't think, uh, I guess a lot of the listeners will realize, or even consumers, is that of the, the house brands that you mentioned, and if you're running a retail shop, you could very easily just copy your best seller's formula and you know undercut them severely by your, your margins and price if you're willing to make that investment. But it, it's something that you could easily do. Yeah, and the thing is, is that I don't think you know years ago that was a worry because it's like, all right, well, this guy's not going to start his own brand. But now that you have all these little Facebook ads saying start your own supplement company, 144 units is all it takes. It's like, well, shoot, if that averages, you know, $10 a unit, it's less than a $1,500 investment to now start your own brand. Well, shoot, let's take this product right off the shelf, send it into them, say replicate this and put my logo on it. Boom, now you're a brand owner. And I think that's where, you know, it, prop lens can be uh, efficient to some degree. Um, again, you know, if someone wants to copy Hypermax because it's, it's a completely open label. Hopefully we've established our name enough that when people see that formula, they go, oh, that's Hypermax. You know, I'm not gonna support these people. That would be the, the hope. But we're willing to run that risk for 
the transparency that the end consumer gets, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great points. And I guess I'm going to, I'm going to take, take the microphone from you and be host for a second and ask you a question <laughs> if that's okay. Sure. Um, how did you arrive on the, cause there, there's a bunch of different stimulants out there. There's hygienamine, there's isopropyl norsenephrine. How did y'all decide on the, the 200 milligram caffeine per scoop content and then the, the ratios of all of the other fun alkaloids and whatnot that are in Hypermax? So, you know, N-phenethylamethylamine and eriodrensis extract is something that I've been playing around with for quite, quite a long time. Um, I'm trying to think what the first product we had it in. It had to have been, I think it was Oxymax first. And then, yeah. and then I think we brought it over to, to Hypermax later on. But um, yeah, it, it, again, it's just that, that tremendous amount of, of trial and error and trying different, uh, different ratios of different ingredients. Um, and so, you know, eriodrensis by itself is, is or N-phenethylamethylene by itself was a, uh, you know, is a good ingredient. I think it does need some sort of MAO inhibitor um, I personally think uh, N-methyltyramine has a higher inf uh, higher affinity to block uh, monoamine um, oxidase, but I think I just enjoyed the feel of hoarding more, so that's why we ended up going to hoarding over N-methyltyramine. But you know, if I was some, you know, if I if we if we didn't have that that aspect, then I think N-methyltyramine would actually probably be even more synergistic with eriodrensis. And I believe we tried that in an original formula. I can't remember. Um, and then, yeah, just playing around with the different caffeine dosages and, and just finding uh, the balance between um, all those ingredients. I, I'd say one thing, though, in terms of the caffeine content, that was a little bit more kind of known in the sense of one to two scoops. I felt like 200 milligrams for one scoop was a really good starting point. I don't think 200 milligrams can be too overwhelming to anybody. But with all the other stimulants we have in there, I think it would, you know, they complemented 200 milligrams very well. And then 400 milligrams on that higher dose. I think that was probably a little bit less of the testing and more of what we felt the average consumer would want to use from the aspect of your lower stim guy and your higher stim guy. I personally feel if we would have went like 150, 300, I think the one scoop would have been a little bit, you know, underwhelming, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, a, a, at the end of the day, as you know, a ton of this stuff is literally just trial and error. There's no studies that combined N-phenethylamethylamine with an MAO inhibitor. There's no, you know, studies that are combining uh, tyrosine with some form of alpha-yo, or better yet, all four or five of those components into one aspect. So we're trying to find, you know, ingredients that potentiate each other and then trying them and then kind of adjusting that based on feedback. So it is a tremendous amount of trial and error where, you know, going back to our previous conversation, you can say uh, L-norvaline, you know, is the arginase inhibitor. We all know it's not a great arginase inhibitor. It's probably not even a great ingredient as a whole. But let's just say research was super positive. Then you go, okay, well, then research is also super positive on citrulline, you know, increasing nitric oxide. So we know if that we pair, you know, citrulline and um, um, shoot, I just brain farted, L-norvaline together, then uh, we know that we're gonna get an added benefit, let's do that. And so that is something where, you know, that side of it I think can be formulated much more easier on paper. Whereas when it comes to stems, just because of, there's a lack of research on the interaction between all these components, it's, it is, it's just at the end of the day, trial and error. Yeah, yeah, very, this very, is, very good points. 
This is why we make a great team, Aaron, because you do all that stuff better than I could ever dream, and I just want something good to sell. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so I guess with that, we've seen, Robert uh, and Derek, we've seen a tremendous shift um, in the industry from the last you know, five years, uh, specifically to the topic that we're even talking about now. Where do you see, Robert, the industry being in the next five years? If you have to guess, what are the going to be the trends? You know, what are going to be the hot products? What are going to, you know, what are going to be some, maybe some ingredients that emerge, you know, as a top contender, maybe maintain? Where do you see ingredients falling off? And I mean, glutamine was one you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that might have been more popular five or 10 years ago and hopefully isn't nearly as popular now. Um, where do you see the industry as a whole in five years? Man, y'all, y'all are coming with the heavy hitter questions. Um, I, I don't even know about the next five years. I'm just ready for 2020 to be over, frankly. <laughs> next <laughs> question. God forsaken year to be over. <laughs> um, let's see. In five years, well, you mentioned glutamine, but there there are some brands that are trying to bring out uh, alternative forms of glutamine, and it's still. I mean, you can you can gift wrap dog shit. It's still going to be dog shit at the end of the day. So. Uh, um. Tell us, what, tell us I what think, you really think, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's putting it nicely. <laughs> um, let's see. Where do I think? You know, it's. I said a couple of years ago that nootropics, we, this is kind of when DMAA was on the brink of completely going away, and DMHA was starting to get a little bit of a you know, spotlight on it as it might maybe next in line, and I had said nootropics. Hey, just, were, to, just, to cut, just to cut in there real quick, I think – and I was only thinking about this, uh, thinking about prior formulations. I think that's where people view the steps, right? You go DMAA, then DMHA. Isn't that how you guys kind of view from one to the next? Yeah. Okay, so what's missing in the middle? Amp citrate. Boom. No one talks about amp citrate anymore. And uh, it's funny because obviously DMHA held its own for so much longer. But yeah, it's kind of funny because in most conversations, most people go from straight from DMA to DMHA and totally skip over the D- DMBA was was the acronym I think they use for amcitrate. I actually really like that ingredient. I uh, I thought that was a uh, I I think I liked it potentially even more than DMAA. The, I, my experience with amcitrate, I think that got banned like the second I really got heavily into to supplements. I mean, it I tried maybe one or two ingredients or products um that had amp citrate in it it was mostly sample packs i don't think i ever had a full tub of anything because my my you know i've been in the, the industry for five years full time now but my experience with supplements didn't really start until like 2013 2014 so i never even tried the original jack 3d um i really? never you know I, I didn't really know what a pre-workout was until you know 2013 2014 Damn, i mean man, i had had coffee and, and soft drinks and stuff like that so yeah i mean i missed some of the really good stuff yeah. Um, or when you know C4 had DMA and then all the all the big guys had um, DMA back in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I I had said that nootropics were going to make their way into pre workouts because you need something that's going to alter somebody's mental state aside in a way that's different than just the pure stimulatory effects of caffeine. Caffeine's wonderful and it feels great and you know if, if in my top five supplements I'm, I I don't, almost don't even consider caffeine a supplement. It's just it's it's a part of everyday life for most people. Um, but I think, you know, nootropics are going to continue to start trending upward um, as they're becoming more and more in the, 
the mainstream. So we've, we've seen energy drinks and energy drinks now are starting to infuse more of the nootropics. Like, you know, Bang has their super creatine and, and rain and monster all have like taurine in there and they might have a little bit of N-acetyl-L-tyrosine. But I think we're going to start to see more quality doses, something like CDP choline working its way in there, um, better doses of L-tyrosine, of taurine. Um, I think that's going to be good. And with, and especially, you know, in going forward, this year has been stressful to people on many fronts, you know, either from financial stuff, personal relationship stuff, um, professionally, uh, psychologically i mean there's so much stressors and adaptogens namely like ashwagandha was starting to catch uh, a big ride at the end of 2019 they were one of the biggest sponsors of supply side west last year if i remember correctly ksm 66 um, yeah you know one thing to double down on that point that's the one ingredient where i've seen people complain it's just in too much stuff it's like you almost, in some instances, you can't even get away from it, you know. And if you start to buy a test booster from these people and an anti-cortisol from these people, you know, some pre-workouts or a sleep product, it's like you end up at like two grams of KSM sixty-six at the end of the day because it's just being included in so many different products. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I definitely think adaptogens, especially with the the state of stress that everybody seems to be in this, these days, um, I definitely see adaptogens continuing to rise in popularity and going that way. I would like to see things like BHB salts and CBD just drop off the face of the earth entirely because I'm not impressed uh, in any way by uh, my my personal experiences with CBD. Um, and BHB salts, the data on it from an exercise standpoint is, is not very encouraging at all. And you could say, well, maybe the subjects weren't fat adapted. I mean, they've done crossover trials. They've had people be on keto diets for eight or 12 weeks before trying these BHB salts and then stacking it with exercise performance. Um, I'm just, I'm not a big believer in them as a, uh, as a performance booster. Could you make an argument for them as a new uh, component in the nootropic? Uh, yeah, I could see that because when I take it, it's a, it's an effect that is stimulatory in a manner that like caffeine, but not as, um, energetic so it, it heightens your your mental status cognitively um but something i've found and it's just happened with a couple of products or nootropic products that have bhb salts in them i get a crash on them or i just feel bottomed out like i feel amped up for a good like 45 minutes and then by the hour and a half mark man i feel super super tired or just flat and it, it, it's not solely just the caffeine and those things it's that's weird well, so um, what, what do you think in terms of, because so I have a buddy who, who does, you know, ingredient manufacturing. He's brought some pretty popular ingredients to the market. So me and yeah. him have, you know, conversations here and there. What do you think about the efficiency of BHB salts in the sense that you have to take in so much excess electrolytes um, to even get a significant amount of ketone in the first place to where it's not even really, you know, in some people's opinion, a viable you know, supplement versus uh, that there's this patent, I think by Oxford University, they've licensed their um, their research or their patent to a company called Human who really hasn't done anything with it, but it's just pure ketones. And when I say they really haven't done anything with it, they've bottled it, it tastes like battery acid, it hasn't taken off, um, but we're talking about pure ketones, not a very low amount of ketones, you know, salted with, you know, calcium or potassium or sodium or anything like that have you yeah. looked into the differences of that versus you know bhb salts and pure ketones or are you kind of writing off the whole entire thing 
I have not tried any ketone esters, so the ones that are made by the AGMN company. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, the Brianna Stubbs was one of the leading researchers on the ketone ester research, but she was also, I think, the patent holder on it. And she was also the chief science officer for HBMN. So I, that, I almost thought that was a little bit of a conflict of interest when they were trying to publicize and say how good the, the studies were and all of that and the research around it. So I thought that was a little bit of a conflict of interest, and that wasn't clearly didn't listed. The, didn't the Department of Defense do some uh, research on it? Yeah, and I think they had Dom Diagostino, who's another big keto uh, proponent. Um, he was working with them, I believe, as well. Um, I just, from a performance standpoint, the, the keto diet, I just, you, the body's primed to run on glucose. And, I, you know, if, if you have a bunch, any keto zealots that listen to this, I'm probably going to get excoriated by them for saying this. It's just, right. I, I think in certain applications, keto has benefits. Uh, I think for the average person that is looking to excel, especially in like an anaerobic uh, glycolytic state that's looking to excel in performance wise, I, I don't see it being a very good fit. If it's somebody that is more sedentary or leads a little bit less active lifestyle or somebody that's trying to lose weight, I could see it being a viable option because it's, you know, the keto diet is pretty synonymous with higher degrees of satiety, uh, less feelings of hunger. And if, you know, if that helps you stick to your diet at the end of the day, then that's a great thing. And that's, that should be the way, you know, work the, work the route that works best for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, and, and to your point, I think part of it does play into the fact of, you know, it's, it's essentially like a backup survival type of, uh, um, you know, mode that you're putting your body in. Um, and clearly that makes it probably not the most efficient, you know, energy source. And obviously, like you said, you know, our brains uh, run on glycogen, glucose, um, anaerobic exercise, you know, aerobic exercise to some degree uh, alongside ATP. But I mean, there has to be something to be said with what the body prefers and what is the body most efficient at. And like you said, if, if you have to go to that extreme, to reach a caloric deficit and maintain that caloric deficit, then by all means, you know, if that works for you and you get to eat bacon with your breakfast and you're happy with it, sure, go for it. But I don't think for, you know, it's the end all be all. I think at the end of the day, being in a caloric deficit is really all you need to accomplish. Yeah. You know, moderation is key with, I think just about 99.9% of things in life with the exceptions of something like hemlock or arsenic, obviously you don't want to, you know, do those in moderate doses. Um, But it's, you know, you can lose weight eating carbs. You can lose weight not eating carbs. What what is whatever you can adhere to the most consistently and feel the less depraved on, I think is going to work ultimately with you. And I just, you know, I have the gripes with the, the primal diet or the paleo diet. Anything that I think that just abjectly eliminates an entire macronutrient or food group or food groups, I just there's something there that I'm not entirely comfortable with. Yeah, but we're also not a society built on on moderation by any means so no not at all yeah so in that in that case scenario you know maybe there is a a viable option for it yeah going back to the the bhb things um the salts from what i gather i mean that i have not had a a supplement containing decent amounts of bhb that tastes phenomenal they all taste you know kind of minerally or just have just kind of an off taste to them and that's because you have to cram so many uh, sodium, potassium, uh, magnesium, all of those in there. Um, I just, I, what are your experiences? Have you even considered using any of that as part of the Performax lineup? I've, I'm just, I've never been wowed with them or by the data. I, I can understand if you're a manufacturer of them, a provider of them, a marketer of them, and it's keto is a huge buzzword right now. So let's, you know, let's cash in and, and do that. I just, 
from a, a performance supplement standpoint and a cost standpoint, they're not cheap either. So, yeah, I I've never been bought into uh, the BHB salts. Like I said, the just the the amount of excessive amount of electrolytes you need to intake to make you know to intake any any significant amount of ketones to me just it just doesn't make much sense it doesn't seem the most efficient i am you know somewhat interested in what human or hvm and uh, is doing but i also feel like they without you know sounding terrible it's it, they're, they're they're trying to position themselves as a biohacking company and at the end of the day they're, they're a supplement company so they haven't done what I, I think they purported they would be able to do with that that ketone drink, and I'm interested interested to see what happens uh, with that. And I do think there is, um, you know, some benefits from a, like a pure ketone ester. Uh, but the key, the BHB salts just haven't been of any interest to, to us at all. I, I I just don't think that they're the best the best way uh, to 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 deliver that. You know what I mean? Right, and then. I remember that the two guys that started HVMN, the, the company used to be called something else. And I remember when they went on Shark Tank and they were trying to position the nootropics and their, their pill at the time, I don't know if it was called Speed or Run or, or Sprint or whatever. Sprint. And they were, yeah, and they were trying to position it as the, like the, the, the second coming of nootropics to the industry. And all it was was like 50 milligrams of caffeine with 100 milligrams of theanine. And because this is, you know, I, by this point when I saw that episode, I had already been steeped in the industry for several years now, and, and nootropics have always been a passion of mine. That's the, I think, the, the region or aspect of uh, supplementation that I find the most intriguing. Um, and Sandy was looking at me, and she says, well, hey, Robert, you're in supplements. What do you think of these guys? And I said, I've never heard of them. So I pulled up the formulas, and I thought, this is dog shit. I mean, this is, this is the most basic formula. They're trying to make it sound like this thing that's going to light your brain on fire and make you, you know, perform like the guy in Limitless. So um, I went to high school with Jeffrey Wu, the owner. Did of, you? Yeah, I went to high school with him. I don't remember him very much. I mean, I think I had like a class with him or something. Um, I honestly don't remember anything uh, from high school. Not even from high school, just in general. I have a really terrible uh, uh, memory. Uh, <laughs> but my like my buddies and stuff, you know, reminded me. Yeah, yeah, you know, you remember uh, Jeffrey. So no, yeah, he he went to our high school and. Um, and kind of like exactly what you just said, it's, it's, at that time, what was it called? Nutri, Nutribox? Was it Nutribox? I think yeah, it, something like that. Yeah, I think it was something like that. But yeah, it was, it was simply, you know, some, I think some, some amount of tyrosine potentially, you know, 250 milligrams, 300 milligrams of tyrosine, um, you know, and then a combination of caffeine and theanine, you know, whatever the, the most common, you know, studied ratio is. And you put it in a really nice glass bottle, and then you put that glass bottle into a really nice box, and boom, you have a biohacking company. And that was what was always, to me, kind of insulting, because I feel like sometimes, you know, the supplement industry kind of gets a bad rap. Like, you know, we're just a bunch of meatheads, and, and, and uh, you know, it, 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 there's not a lot of science that goes into it, and everyone's just trying to get jacked, bro. And then they did something that was 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 smart from a marketing standpoint. They completely repositioned themselves where you didn't even think about it as a dietary supplement. Um, but I also think that was very disingenuous because really what it was was a dietary supplement at probably the bottom of the barrel when it comes to a good nootropic uh, with a hefty price tag. And then I think when they did that, when they did that um, Shark Tank, what did they ask for like twenty or forty million or something ridiculous? I'm like, what do you, 
what are you thinking? You've put tyrosine, caffeine, and theanine in a capsule, and now magically you're this biohacking company that's worth $40 million that's going to revolutionize it. It was just insane to me. It was so insane. Um, I think they must have already had the contract for the ketone esters, so they knew they had something up their sleeve. Because, I mean, done right and done well, I think ketone esters in terms of marketability could be like a red bull i think it could be yeah. really 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 big and so i think maybe they had that up their sleeve and so they were kind of uh fronting a little bit with what their current offerings were but honestly from someone in the industry and at that point in time we already had new max out it was insulting at the very least yeah yeah i would agree and i just for somebody that's made such a quality and you know i've i've Nootropamax has been one of my favorites for years. Is the is the powder getting released in addition to the capsules, or is it replacing the capsules? It's That's replac- my first question. It's replacing the capsules. There's definitely going to be a lot of stuff that comes over. Um, there's a lot of unique stuff uh, that we did um, that I still yet I, I still yet to see. Um, you know, the combination of, of caffeine alongside L-ornithine. I think most people go, well, or, well, is that supposed to give me like energy and pumps? Um, but there's actually this Japanese study that showed office workers when they co-administered caffeine along L-ornithine, they noticed increased energy and uh, focus for upwards of like eight hours. So there's a lot of innovative stuff we did that might've been overlooked with that capsule um, that we're gonna pull over to the powder. And then there'll also be some new ingredients that we add to the powder as well. So if you like the capsule, you're gonna love the powder. It's it's going to, it's going to be like an and thing. It's not gonna be like an or thing. Excellent, well that, that's encouraging. And I guess that'll bring uh, something I just thought of. So, you know, you, you mentioned the way the, the Nutribox or the HEMN guys did with Nootropics. And it still, you know, makes my blood boil and gets me so irritated when I see, you know, the, the shitty top selling Nootropics on Amazon or something like G Fuel, which is, is super popular with gamers and stuff. And you, you mentioned that Nootropamax is gonna be positioned for professionals, students, gamers, and stuff like that. And just, how, what can we do, you as brand owners, me as a, a consultant and stuff, what can we do to, to change the narrative and say that, hey, first off, the, the, the formula for Nootropamax is better. It's effectively dosed, it's open label, everything else is underdosed and packed behind a prop line. So what, what in the world, and I guess if, if we figure this out, we'll be billionaires, but how do we change the narrative on it and get the consumers to just understand what a quality product is versus something that's just tastes good? Well, I, I, then that's the thing. It's if, 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 like you said, if we, if we knew that, I think our whole entire line it would be a million percent more popular. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a slow change. I think it's something that takes time to do. I mean, we've, we've all seen that in this industry. Uh, the education side of it, um, you know, start to improve to where now people are calling out people with no, you know, if you have a prop blend, um, if you, you know, if you're using 750 milligrams of nitrosagene and someone comments and references, well, that's only half the study dose. I think it's something that's just going to take time and, and, uh, you know, education on our side and, you know, for brands like us, and there is start to be, there's starting to be a lot more brands like Performax, we're just have to set a new, a new um, set point. We have to set a new uh, standard. Um, and once we do that, then I think people will start to come around. But I mean, G Fuel, they nailed their entry into the gaming community far before any other supplement. I mean, do you remember G, G Fuel, if, if I'm not mistaken, was like a sports nutrition brand. And they had like Gamma, Ga, Gamma O or Gamma Z. I don't, do you remember that, Robert? 
Yeah, it was something. It was gamma something. Ga- yeah, gamma, um, gamma O, gamma something like that. And they were blue, green, and they just looked like your average sports nutrition company. And they weren't very popular. I think you know they probably did okay, but they just weren't really anything. And then at some point, they made that total, complete, you know, one eighty, and turned somehow into a gaming supplement before anybody else did. And now they've captured that market. Um, and so that's such a new market and esports and gaming is continues to grow especially through this whole pandemic continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger i think the more companies that enter into that sector and then start to expand and then people start to feel okay well wow maybe g fuel wasn't as amazing because now we see these two or three other guys doing something way better i think it's just a time thing um which you know obviously doesn't play in our favor but you know we're, we're me and Derek and you know Performax. We're not. This isn't a get rich quick scheme. So we'll be there when when times change, and we'll still have you know quality product, and we'll be able to reap those benefits. But I think it's just a, a, a patience type game. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, so my question, and it was not even really a question as much as a statement, but it's kind of a question, is. What do you think about educated consumers not actually being that educated? <laughs> <laughs> is this is this in reference to like the the forum keyboard warriors? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I always put a snide ass remark about something. Yeah. Exactly. These these people who you know come off as they're so educated because they have you know an idea of one specific ingredient and what it should be. And then if it's not that, then your formula sucks. The whole formula is terrible because you didn't put X amount of this in there. You only put this amount. And and I think that's, I mean, while so much good has come from it, I think there is a little bit of bad that's come from it of a lot of people popping up as if they're some sort of guru that have, you know, done maybe a day's worth of research into supplements and has been, you know, interested for the last month and now they're an expert. Yeah, I, I think I think it's easy to sit on the sidelines and and throw pot shots or toss rocks at people, especially if you're just. I mean, when, you know, when that's I think when you're you're most dangerous is when you you get a little bit of a some knowledge on a subject and then you, but you don't realize how much you don't know. You think you're an expert because you've done a little bit of research on it, but you haven't learned enough to be a master of it and understand what your limitations are as a person and as a you know an authority matter on the subject. And that's where you can get into trouble. Yeah, so you'll, I, I you'll love- shoot your mouth off. Yeah, I love Good. that. I love that um, that uh, that thought process. I can't. I, there, there, there is some sort of very specific saying that wraps that up really neatly. But yeah, the idea that you know, you basically you know, uh, uh, you basically know enough to talk about it, and then what happens is you start to learn more and more and more, and the more and more you learn, you actually learn that you don't know shit at all. And it's a weird, it's a weird transition period to where you go from thinking that you're very, very, very educated on the subject to getting enough education that you realize that, wow, I really don't know anything. There's, it's so much deeper than what I, you know, I thought when I first started. Yeah, and that's, you know, I think everybody goes through that. It's just, you know, you get excited about something, so you start trying to learn about it, and then you think, all right, I got a really good handle on it, and then that's the point where most people stop. And they think, all right, well, I've got a good hand on this. I can, I can hold my own in a conversation. But it's, you know, the true passion, the dedication is when you take it to that next level and you say, all right, well, citrulline, it's great. It, it you know, helps boost uh, arginine levels in the body and then it can boost nitric oxide production. 
and you just stop it there. But then you, you realize it's part of another energy cycle and it helps remove ammonia from there. And then that's where its main benefits are. Its main benefits probably aren't from increasing blood flow because nitric oxide's got a, a, a half-life in the body of what, like one microsecond? So do we really think we're getting that much benefit from nitric oxide? And we know that nitrates are more powerful. And, you know, I don't want to keep beating home the, uh, the citrulline nit nitric oxide pathway. But, I mean, that's the one most people can identify with. Yeah. Or with caffeine, people say it's a stimulant. But caffeine does so much more than that. It doesn't constrict blood flow. It actually, you know, it'll constrict cerebral blood flow vessels. But, you know, if you're looking down at the endothelial cells and skeletal muscle tissue, it acts as a vasodilator. It improves blood flow through a bunch of different mechanisms. And I've especially, written about an article about that. Especially when combined with exercise versus, you know, being sedentary. And I think that's where a lot of people don't get that. Because even I think Derek brought that up on our last, po last podcast. And look, just to your point, you know, talking about, uh, central, you know, uh, blood flow versus peripheral blood flow and the effects that caffeine has on that. And then the effects that caffeine has on that when paired with resistance exercise, uh, caffeine can actually be a great vasodilator. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. you get that guy working at GNC is like, bro, you're not going to get the pumps. This has too much caffeine. And so it is kind of, uh, it, it's that funny in between where, like you said, you know enough to where I think if you talk to somebody that knows nothing, you would sound educated, but you talk to somebody that knows even just a little bit, those people can be in a really bad situation. Exactly, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's part of just growth and development. And I'm sure I've said things, you know, I was talking out of my ass back on my, my early days on the bodybuilding.com forums when they were still really active. You know, I think I, that was where I first really started trying supplements was, you know, all the companies put promotions out there. And I started, you know, I, I got some samples and I tried them and did reviews on them and things like that. And that was kind of my, entry into whole writing and discussing supplements to begin with um and you which know which is actually everybody how i started too by the way yeah we all i mean most people in the supplement industry i guess that are of our age got in that way because they, they were on the bodybuilding.com forms the anabolic mind forms and you know you you went you entered in a company promotion you ran a supplement log because everybody likes free stuff and you know you'll do what you need to to get some free product you'll you'll do you'll run a log and you know hopefully you you value the company that sent that to you, you value the product, and you realize that you're getting something for free, so you should do your due diligence and actually run the product. Just don't write some shitty review and say, oh, it's the best thing I ever had, limitless energy, amazing pumps, mind-altering focus. Don't, you know, be, be an upstanding person, actually run the product if somebody's nice enough to send it to you. That was pretty good off the cuff. I think you could do the call-outs <laughs> on our next label. <laughs> Well, I mean, man, that, that's, that's, that is my specialty is I've got the gift of gab with uh, writing every now and then. That's funny. Um, Derek, do you have, do you have a, a question you want to throw in there? Uh, related to this or in general just for Robert? Either one. Either one. Well, I mean, I, I have, like, a, a question for Robert just for our industry because you do come in contact with so many different brand owners and different types of products. I was wondering if you felt like there's a great divide in quality – or innovation between you know good brands and bad brands like is there really a and you don't have to name names i'm just Do curious it, in general <laughs> but yeah well, just i think generally. the bottom feeders in the industry are definitely performax labs i mean those guys <laughs> just kind of copy and rip off anybody that you oh, contact backfire. With. <laughs> and the podcast is over thank you robert it was great having you we will see you yeah. next week <laughs> oh, hey, you get to see me next week? That's even better. I'd be like, there's enough to salvage it for another appearance. <laughs> um, do I think there's a big divide in the company uh, as far as, you say, in the quality of the products, the, the innovation of the formulas? Um, can, can you, I guess, uh, let's blow up the question a little bit more, Derek. So, like, 
I mean, you see, the, I mean, a couple of years ago, I guess it was happening more frequently where you would see brands pop up every month or two. You'd be like, hey, whatever, whatever, uh, Labs shows up out of nowhere and they have a pre-workout of fat burner and aminos already or SARMS brands or this or that. And there's just so many brands that pop up out of nowhere. Ha I'm assuming, because I didn't get to try all the brands, like you have that benefit of being able to like test out things and you can tell what's BS and not BS by usually just by looking at a product or the feeling of the product versus what's on the label. <laughs> you know, like which, which one's really, not which ones, but do you find that there is a divide between ones that really stand up to their labels, their claims, their, you know, quality, and then ones that are really just like trying to fake it till you make it and they're clearly just not good for you yeah i mean certain things whenever something that always kind of goes off as a warning bell in my my brain are when companies or products are constantly being sold buy one get one free you know mm -hmm. or if, if, if a company releases a new product and then three months down the line it's uh getting bogoed or sold for like 60 percent discounts mm -hmm. um that always raises a flag in my head and you know I've, I've tried products from some of these companies and I just it makes me question sometimes what's actually in the powder because I'll, I'll take a pre-workout that supposedly has 400 milligrams of caffeine in it I'll take it and I feel like I could go right to sleep mm -hmm. I mean maybe you can make the argument I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine maybe I've become uh, attenuated to it or I just come you know immune to caffeine but that's not true because you know there's two to three days a week where I'm not taking any caffeine and most of the days my intake is anywhere between 150 to 250 just on a day I just I'm a naturally alert person so I don't need much caffeine to get me through the day um, and so I just I, I always wonder is it is it a bad formula is it a bad batch of the product is it you know did they put and this is absent any kind of calming agents Theanine, KSM, which that's that's a whole other topic that I could rant on for days about. Just stop putting. I love theanine. I love in. theanine in my pre-workouts. More theanine, the better. <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right. I, I, I think at this point we'll end the podcast and and, uh, and, uh, and glutamine. <laughs> <laughs> KSM, please put all the GABA. We'll put yeah. some GABA in there too, and some melatonin. It'll be wonderful. Yeah. I it just, feels, yeah, it feels I just, just like DMA, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think there is a, a disparity between some of the bottom feeders in the industry and the, the really quality guys. But then I guess you also have to look at the sales models or what are these companies trying to do? Are they actually trying to be innovative? Are they trying to push the envelope and make quality products, or are they trying to do a cash grab? Because you've got mm -hmm. you've got companies that are making quality products. They don't care. They they care about the price point, but making a, money isn't their primary thing. They want to make good supplements because they care about the sports nutrition industry. They like. They think they have something to offer, like you guys do. I mean, I, obviously, you both want to make money. You have bills to pay. You have families to support and all that stuff. But I wouldn't say your primary motivation is just to get rich selling Performax Lab supplements is to make something quality because you we identified probably a We probably wouldn't be working for Performax if that was the, if that was the goal. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you've identified something that's lacking, deficient, or outright missing from the industry, and you want to, you feel like you could do it better, and you want to fulfill that gap. Um, and so I think there, there are definitely some companies that are doing that, but I think by and large, you know, I think there are more companies out there that are either looking to just get rich quick or just make something and it, it's otherwise very mundane um you know there's there's a couple of pre-workouts that have been released on the stack 3d newswire in the past week or two that 
I mean, there are 600 other pre-workouts just like it on the market, but they're trying to be touted as game-changing, and it's it's the most boring, basic thing. Anybody could do this. Any contract manufacturer could put this together. There's no innovation behind it. There's no thought process. It's just, let me take the, the most boring ingredient, citrulline betaine beta-alanine and a little pixie dusting of caffeine, and then there we go. That's our game-changing pre-workout. And, it, you know, it, that, I, that, I think, bothers me or... That, that's one thing that I guess bugs me about the divide in the industry. You have new companies that are pushing the envelope and trying to bring new ingredients to the industry, but then you also have other companies that are bring, trying to be innovative for innovation's sake. Um, you know, you're, you're coming out with some other form of an ingredient that we either already know works or some enhanced form of an ingredient that doesn't work, and you're trying to spin it and make it sound uh, great. So something like dihydroberberine versus regular berberine. We know berberine works fine. It's been shown to be as effective as a pharmaceutical drug in metformin. Why the hell are we trying to reinvent the wheel and make dihydroberberine and sell it for four times the cost of regular berberine? That just that that being innovative for innovative sake, I think, is completely worthless, and it doesn't doesn't push the industry forward. Bring something new to market. Bring something uh, innovative that that actually took some research to, not just something that is you're trying to put you know lipstick on a pig kind of thing. Yeah, and I think uh, another one. Um, that I'm sure you've seen, Robert, is so now proprietary blends are essential, or I'm sorry, uh, open labels are essential, right? You have to have open labels. So what's funny now is you see these companies that, oh, ours is 100% open label. And then you look at it and you go, yeah, but it's also completely underdosed. So what the fuck was the point of making it open label in the first place? You know, there's this kind of popular pre-workout and it uses like, and actually a lot of pre-workouts are doing this, like one and a half grams of betaine and hydros. It's like betaine's not that expensive of an ingredient. Why not just go for the t- full two and a half grams? Or I think mm-hmm. there's this other pre-workout where they added like one gram of creatine. It's you know at that point you you might as well just be a prop blend because all you're doing is you're just opening it up the fact that you're just underdosing. Um, but they might tout you know that they have only open labels and blah 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 blah. I think that's also kind of on the you know the side of of, of you know brands that are think that they're doing the right thing but they're really not you know what i mean yeah i would agree and i think it's preying on the ignorance of the consumer so it's just like in the uh in the food market where you've got something where it says vegan or organic or gluten-free you know we consumers have been trained to identify these keywords and if they see that on the the front of the tub most of them aren't going to turn around to the back of the tub because if we're being honest the the educated consumer the ones that actually know the efficacious dosages of caffeine citrulline beta alanine is probably you know five to ten percent, and that's being very generous, I would think, as far as the supplement purchasing population. Yeah, no, exactly, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier: the educated consumer, or the people that view themselves as an educated consumer, not always being that educated. I mean, one gram of, uh, or I'm sorry, one scoop of Hypermax, we've been called out on. It only has three grams of citrulline. You know, my pre-workout has six grams citrulline. It's like, no, your pre-workout has six grams citrulline malate at a one-to-one ratio. So we actually have the same exact amount of citrulline, but you just see six grams and you see the word citrulline, and then that's what it has to be. And five grams wouldn't work, and seven grams would be too much, but six is exactly what it has to be. And I think that's where, you know, the quote-unquote educated consumer kind of gets, like you said, those those trigger words where 3.2 grams beta on has to do that, even though there's no study showing 3.2 grams in one bolus dose, as far as I'm aware. It's always 1.6 grams split, you know, two to three times a day, or four, even four mm-hmm. times a day, I think. Um, it has to have, you know, six grams citrulline, but the person really doesn't know if it's citrulline malate or pure citrulline and what the ratio is. 
And so it's just kind of jumping to these kind of like buzz terms. And if it doesn't match, then it must not be a great product. Exactly. And I think most people would be surprised. So, you know, there was a time when, you know, six to eight grams of citrulline malate, that was the benchmark. And then we had companies putting just pure citrulline at three to four grams. And then the, the standard dose, quote unquote, became six grams to where some consumers now they see three grams of just pure L-citrulline in a product and they say it's underdosed. Where if you actually go back and look, the lowest effective study dose of uh, pure L-citrulline is 2.4 grams. It was done in cyclists. Um, Isn't so there just, is also a, a study, I believe, at three grams um, and its effects on uh, heart rate and blood pressure, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's I mean, one on that too. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I, I, yeah, it's just, it's just the educated, the quote-unquote educated consumer kind of going back to even the other point of thinking they know more than the, they really know. And that's, I, I think on, you know, I'm happy that we're, we're, we're getting to this space as an industry, but I think those people can be dangerous as well. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And it, a, a part of that I, I blame the, the industry for because you have the people that are there you know the the they're fans of a particular brand and so they're going to tout the the language so if they hear their favorite bodybuilder or supplement brand owner on a video saying my product has this and this is the dose that you always need and you know obviously that company is just trying to position themselves as the authority figure and so the, the consumer that thinks they know what they're talking about or they believe they put their trust in this xyz brand owner um and then they look at a competitor and they say oh well this has got to be underdosed because you know Dr. So-and-so says this is the way to do it, or, you know, Mr. Bartfenugan says this, you know, and it's just, it's, you've got to be able to go, you know, another level deeper with everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Did that uh, answer all your questions, Eric? Do you have anything else for Robert? No, no, definitely been uh, <laughs> it, it, a lot of information coming my way from YouTube today, so that's good. <laughs> that's funny. Learn, I'm learning a lot. Um, I've got a couple of questions for y'all that uh, some uh, people tossed my way that for discussion if y'all have time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, the first one was uh, from a guy, Nappy Nerd 511 Nick, <laughs> Nick Bryce. Uh, it says, when it comes to the cheesing effect, and Aaron, you and I have talked about this before on one of the uh, appearances you did on the Supplement Engineer podcast. Um, in your experience, how long does this cheesing effect usually last? Well, I think that's the I think that's the the thing that, that we talked about in the in the podcast is I've never actually had you know or experienced that that quote unquote cheesing effect, um, and that and I guess you know to bring you up to speed, Derek, what what we were talking about at the time is um, pairing uh, L tyrosine with um, I believe we we're talking about alpha yohimbine and how for whatever reason alpha yohimbine you know doesn't create this uh what's called the cheesing effect and the cheesing effect is where there's too much circulating norepinephrine and your body is not able to um get rid of it quick enough you get chills shakes um what would be the other things jitters uh and that that can happen with people who are taking mao inhibitors and they end up eating um too much cheese and that cheese has hmm. uh, tyramine and other components in there that end up increasing or noradrenaline the noradrenaline isn't uh um, removed quick enough and then they get into that that uncomfortable kind of side effect but i've never experienced it myself and i mean it is a medical condition so i'm sure we could look it up and find out but um i, I mean what, what are your thoughts uh robert have you ever experienced anything uh, along those lines no i've i'm fortunate enough to respond pretty well to just 
about any kind of stimulant I put in my body. Um, there, I, I don't really get crashes from anything outside of like the BHB things where I feel very flat and tired after a while. But of all the pre-workouts I've tried over the years, I mean, the, the DMAA ones, the, the Mesomorph that had the DMAA and at the old Triple uh, X Gold Star that I think was spiked with 6,000 different other chemicals based on those uh, <laughs> studies that Harvard researchers did. Um, amp citrate never bothered me. I, I've never gotten that edgy, jittery stuff. The only bad experience I ever had, and this was an old formula from, uh, it was Edge of Insanity, and I don't know if this is the, this is the dog I love to kick the most when, uh, whenever I talk about negative pre-workout experiences. I tried the thing out a quarter scoop, a half scoop, three-fourths of a scoop, and I, every time, I mean, I could not catch my breath. I, I felt like I was hyperventilating the entire time I was taking it. And I saw the formula, the, the brand owner sent it to me because CJ and I were reviewing it. Um, and I just, I, I don't believe what the, the ingredient panel I saw on it just because I, I know how I react to those ingredients. And for whatever reason, that just, that made me feel like I wanted to vomit. It was, it was awful. It was an awful, awful product. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So luckily, well, I've never had to. I never had to deal with that. And um, I mean, it is like I said, it is purported that that can happen. You know, um, when you're taking, you know, like n methyltyramine, tyrosine, anything that increases norepinephrine, and then you take an MAO inhibitor. Luckily, there's probably not a significant amount of, you know, clinically effective MAO inhibitors that are naturally occurring. Obviously, we know hornadine and and methyltyramine have a competitive uh, effect against MAO, um, but I think it would be a lot different if you're actually taking a, a prescription drug uh, for that benefit. Uh, but there has been people who have talked about it when you're talking about several grams of tyrosine and then you know a good dose of uh, Yohimbi or, or Yohimbine uh, hydrochloride. Uh, but luckily, you know that's never anything I've had to deal with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure we could find out exactly what that time is online. Yeah, I've never experienced it. I'm glad. I, I'm glad I don't. My my younger brother has like a cup or a cup and a half of coffee, and he feels super jittery and on edge. So I'm glad uh, I got the the good caffeine metabolization genes <laughs> in my family. Yeah, I mean, basically what it is is a like a hypertension episode or hypertensive episode where you know blood pressure is just through the roof and just completely un uh, uncomfortable. So um, I don't know, and I haven't looked into it, you know, tremendously. I don't know if uh, if that leads to something more significant if uh um the norepinephrine can't be you know removed quick enough um but uh yeah i don't have a, a perfect answer for that no i think it would it's going to boil down to the individual i don't think if there's a standard time it's going to be based on everybody's person what other kind of chemicals are in your system what have you eaten recently yeah how, how much well metabolized stimulants and the clearance and all yeah, of that how much tyramine is contained in the cheese your dosage of you know m of the mao inhibitor you're taking uh, if you're talking specific about that cheese effect so yeah there's probably too much too many variables to give a specific time frame yeah and the other question i have is what is the most in what is the most difficult ingredient for Performax to source? Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, methyl oleate and methyl palmitate, definitely. So methyl oleate and methyl palmitate, we have to have custom made um, because they're actual um, liquids, uh, as you know, as uh, as they they naturally occur, so to speak. 
so then they have to be spray dried or freeze dried into a powder uh, and we have a custom uh, manufacturer that makes it specifically for us so definitely the methyl oleate methyl palmitate um, would probably be the, the ingredient that's the hardest to source uh, and again is you know not manufactured at mass scale but manufactured specifically just for our company um, and that is two uh, fatty acid esters that have been found in um, drones milk uh, honeybee drones milk and they did a clinical study on that and showed the combination had uh, anabolic and androf uh, androgenic effect when um, you're taking both compounds i believe the methyl oleate by itself had an anabolic effect and when you added the methyl palmitate with uh, methyl oleate it also uh, had an androgenic effect as well wow i would not have guessed that ingredient <laughs> out of all the ingredients in the in the performance arsenal i would not have guessed that ingredient yeah. at all or those two it's just you know majority like you can get citrulline from anywhere you can get you know even you know for a long time probably maybe the eriogensis extract but now that's just everybody's using it now that especially now that dmha is gone everybody's using it for a long time that was a lot harder because i think we, in the beginning we were like one of two companies or one of three companies that used it five or six years ago um but yeah now nowadays um a majority of these ingredients are fairly accessible except for you know the random ones like that sodium caprate is another one um that is a little bit harder to get it's not nearly as hard as methyl oleate palmitate um, but that's probably another a little bit more of an obscure ingredient um but yeah, I mean, a lot of the other stuff is, is fairly accessible. Interesting. Very interesting. Yep. Um, well, that does it for me for my questions from the ones that uh, the, the listeners submitted. I had one um, that someone asked specific about you, which is how did uh, Performax and Robert meet? So I will let you give your rendition on how that all transpired, Robert. It was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> summer of 2016 <laughs> was walking alone on a beach and uh no um how did we oh well obviously i was the content editor um at price plow doing reviews with cj and we touched base i don't know if it was when we were trying to formulate the the uh top 10 pre-workout list or we were just covering the latest iteration i think it was when hypermax first got released and that was when we first touched base was uh you and i were going back and forth we were doing a a history of the brand and I was just trying to get some quotes for um, the ingredient write-up for Hypermax and so you and I just started discussing and then that kind of led into you know we met at the Arnold shortly after that I think I think it was Olympia was it the Olympia or was it the Arnold it maybe was it Olympia. was the Olympia the Olympia back in 2017 yeah I think I sat down with you and Mike and then Mike had to go to a meeting and then I ended up not having a meeting for like two or three hours. And I remember just thinking, well, shit, this is an interesting guy. I'm just going to sit here and talk to Robert for two hours. <laughs> I think that, yeah, that is what we did. Cause, was Christine there too? I can't remember. I think she, I maybe, I think maybe, I think me and you were in a meeting, Mike left, and I think eventually Christine showed up and kind of hung out with us. I can't remember exactly though. Probably. Yeah, that's sounding about right. Um, but yeah, man, we, we, it was probably October 2017. We had emailed probably before that several times, but it was October 2017. We were hanging out at the Olympia. Uh, I don't remember what I was drinking. I think you had a wine of some type. <laughs> yeah, we're, I don't remember. Did, did you have a drink? I know. I, I definitely had a wine. I always have wine. Yeah, I know you had wine. I, maybe I didn't have a drink because I was drinking an energy drinker. I still hopped up on you know all the, the pre-workout samples we were having to try for meeting with the other brands and whatnot. But man, yeah. It's been a, a very good friendship since then where you and I probably 
text, you know, on a, a, a very regular basis, weekly, if not, you know, several times a week. Um, and it's been fun. You know, we've gotten to collaborate on a few things together. You'll poke, pick my brain from time to time. I'll, I'll write some stuff for the Performex sites here and there. Um, it's just been awesome. If there's very few people in the industry, I actually consider myself close to. Um, but you are one of them. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Thank you for being an awesome friend. No, yeah, definitely. And, and definitely a friendship that um, I'm definitely happy to have, you know, there's not too many super legitimate, you know, educated uh, people um, that don't have an alternative motive, you know, in this industry. So uh, definitely one of the good guys, that's for sure. Um, and then last question, what is the most misunderstood product category in your opinion? Most misunderstood. I would say nootropics. Yeah, I think nootropics are probably most. Just because I think people, it's, it, when people use them, I think they're automatically going to assume it's going to level up their IQ by twenty points, or it's going to make them ace their SATs or their midterm or something like that. And it's uh, outside of the caffeine, nootropics have, and you know, nupept or some of the like phenylpyracetam or something like that. The effects of nootropics are more subtle than that. Um, you know, that's why a lot of companies put a, a crap ton of caffeine in them. Um, just to simulate the experience that it's quote unquote working. Uh, the same thing when companies put a bunch of beta alanine in a pre-workout, but it's, I think nootropics, they're, they're a little bit more nuanced. You've got to be careful with the dosing on nootropics too, because a lot of times you'll see somebody, you know, if it doesn't have 600 milligrams of alpha GPC or, or something like that, they'll say, well, it's underdosed. And but with, with neurochemistry and, and the way that the brain works, it, you've got to be a little bit more careful with the dosages on that. You, you combine too much like the highest studied dose of Hooperzine is 500 micrograms, and that's in patients with Alzheimer's. You give somebody 500 micrograms of Hooperzine, and you give them, you know, 600 milligrams of alpha GPC or 500 milligrams of uh, citicoline. I mean, they're going to be lined up for major, major headaches, brain fog. Um, some people might even start throwing up from a, a choline overdose. So it's, you got to be real careful with that, and it, it, it takes a little bit more of a delicate refined touch to understand how nootropics work and especially when you're formulating them yeah exactly and i think that can be one of the um the aspects to where uh people might try and formulate a nootropic in the same same fashion that they they would uh formulate a pre-workout um, especially now that nootropics are you know be finding themselves in pre-workouts more often and i think that's one where it takes a much larger level of carefulness um because like you said you know you overdo it you have too much coal and you get brain fog you feel out of it and now you're accomplishing the exact opposite of what you wanted um with a nootropic so that was what i was gonna go uh that, that was kind of like my gut reaction was uh was nootropics i'd say the only other one that kind of comes to mind is glucose disposal agents i feel like those are also highly misunderstood um mm -hmm. but i was guessing you would probably say one of those those two yeah, yeah, that's a good point. What do you, what is as from the brand owner standpoint? What misconceptions do you mostly encounter with uh, GDAs? Uh, I think that people think it's going. I mean, it comes back to one of the first GDAs that that came out, which was what anabolic pump, at least from from my recollection. Um, and their USPA Labs old write ups were very. Uh, intense they, they were they were from, from your perspective from like a marketer like writer's perspective they were done really really well the copywriting was awesome but the claims were ridiculous you know 
basically <laughs> basically kind of kind of trying to compare a glucose disposal agent to as if you're injecting insulin and you're gonna you know take this and you can put on you know 12 pounds in two weeks and you're gonna fill out and blah 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 and i think that's where a lot of people kind of you know think about glucose disposal agents not you know increasing just you know insulin sensitivity reducing you know insulin resistance um you know maintaining healthy you know glucose levels blood sugar levels uh, you know increasing digestion uh, assimilation to some degree uh, i think that's probably more or less where gdas fall and i think some people look at it as this like anabolic supplement where they take that and pound 200 grams of protein they're going to be like super pumped and like you know walk around like they just took a shot of insulin Yep. Yep. You nailed it. Cool. All right. Well, Derek, do you have anything else? Uh, not on my end, I don't think. I think you pretty much nailed all of our questions, Robert. Um, anything you wanted to add before we let you go, Robert? Uh, no, I'm excited for uh, to see when uh, the Nootropamax powder launches, the upcoming protein flavors as well. And uh, the limited edition Hypermax stuff, I, I have not been shy about admitting my love for uh, <laughs> Nootropamax or Hypermax. Um, you know, you guys are, are doing some really cool stuff out there, and thank you for having me on the podcast. It, it was a lot of fun. It's, I'm not used to being in the uh, interviewee role. I'm used to being the one asking the question, so it's kind of it's fun to do this role reversal. Yeah, yeah. Well, you couldn't help yourself. You still had to ask some questions, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like having. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the whole reason I started the podcast. Is I love having interesting and engaging conversations with uh you know intelligent people and you know when i can't do that then i settle with you guys so well, that's what i was gonna say <laughs> or you talk to derek yeah well yeah exactly. for that so. <laughs> no, I, I mean it's, that's that's what i love about the podcast format and i guess the long form comment i do with the articles it's just it's it's fun to do and and dig really deep into it because so often we're inundated with 30 second clips of information or short five minute videos i, I like to dive into something and just you know go balls deep into it so yeah this is this has been a one yeah exactly no I, I definitely agree and we're definitely going to have you on um again soon so i appreciate you taking uh, the time out of your day and um we will see you guys soon great thank you guys all right take you. care